Hello, Interwebs, and welcome to Close Up. I'm your co-host, Joe. And I'm Ryan. Today, Ryan and I count down the top 10 best TV shows of all time. Time, 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 time. time. Which is really just our respective top 10 lists of TV shows we really like. Yes, this is not a definitive, like, at the what should be the top 10 shows of all time. This is and our I, personal list. And I Don't hate that we even have us. to say that. So yeah. stupid. People can like what they want to like. My list may not be the same as your list, but that doesn't make it wrong, even though yours is. exactly Right. <laughs> so zooming into our medium shot now. <laughs> I'm going to do a coin flip just to see who gets to go first. What do you call? Heads, tails. Uh, tail, tails never fails. Heads, I go first. Fuck! <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into our that's close what, that's, that's a little shout out to my brother. Whenever they did a coin flip in football, he'd always call tails because tails never fails. <laughs> he just proved me wrong. <laughs> never heard that one. So let's get into my number 10 with Delma. I had to say it just to... You son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) We were talking about this just beforehand. Uh, Okay, my actual number 10, She-Hulk. Sorry. (laughs) Wrong list. Joe. Uh, (laughs) My actual number 10, Batman the Animated Series. Oh, okay. For real. For real. All right. So, you know, this one's a weird one. (laughs) Yeah. See, this is a weird one. You've watched more shows than me. Never mind. Keep going. Okay, look, look, and I'm going to, I got to clarify here. The thing about Batman, the animated series, the fact that it even makes this list is a minor miracle because I don't think I've really seen much more than the first season of it. I haven't. Yeah, there it is. I haven't rewatched this show since I was a child. And even as a kid, I'm pretty sure I really only ever watched the first season on a, on a DVD box set that I had. And I think I saw some episodes of Batman, the new, the new adventures, uh, on TV when I was a kid as well. But the fact that I really haven't seen a lot of this show and it still lands at number 10 on my list. And I watched a lot of TV in my life, but it, it was pretty, defining for my childhood kevin conroy mark hamill they basically set the template for what the ideal batman and joker should be to me everything about batman the animated series is well look i just to get into it a little bit i i'm a massive dc comics fan I'm a big superhero fan. I'm a big Batman fan. And for my money, Batman the Animated Series is the best adaptation of that character outside of the original comic books. In many ways, it's even better because they blended the mythologies in such a cohesive way. This is a very specific take on Batman. He's everything a Batman should be. He's world's greatest detective. He's a world-class fighter. He fights all his main villains in a... In a heightened reality, you have the comic book craziness alongside more grounded stories. You have Robins and Batgirls in there as well. You have the sidekicks. You have Alfred. You have, well, I mean, not so much the Justice League because that came in the later adaptations of the DCAU. But this is a Batman who does everything a Batman should 
with some of the most top-notch writing in animation history. It, well, it, I don't want to say in all of TV history, but at, at the time, it, you know, it's a cartoon. It's a kid's cartoon that won an Emmy. <laughs> you know, this was this was pretty, pretty leagues ahead or unheard of at the time. Yeah. Yeah, this was pushing boundaries in a way that a lot of kids TV didn't at the time. I also remember it as a kid, I think, for its violence. I wasn't used to kids cartoons being this violent and dark. I love the way they even the animation style. I've heard that it was done on black paper as opposed to white paper. They built black as the background and built up from there to give the entire thing this gothic brooding atmosphere. So even the animation style was groundbreaking at the time. The The voice acting top notch, the writing just it was very. It, it taught me that good stories basically it was a kid's cartoon that didn't talk down to me like i was a kid it treated me like i could actually understand these pretty weighty concepts of life and like some of the ones that stick out to me um i remember the one of him in the box when he's when he forgets his memory and he's out in the desert and then he's he, him and this um and one of his other co-workers they're forced in the hot box and they're they're gonna get heat stroke and like like that was pretty intense for a, a kid's cartoon batman mask of the phantasm i'm kind of considering it part of this it's like a feature length version it's of the show of but like that that movie scarred me as a kid to this day the scenes at the end when the joker's getting his teeth knocked out there were batman getting beaten and bloodied by the SWAT team shooting at him in the building. He's getting ripped up or even the phantasm herself with the dropping gargoyles on her, on the bad guys in the open graves. That was the movie, but the show was pretty intense too. At times they got away with a lot for a kid's show. And, uh, I need to rewatch it for sure. Ryan's rewatching it. I'm sure it'll be on this list for him. Um, I'd be surprised if it wasn't. But yeah, it just, it, it taught me that good stories can be universal. Don't talk down to children. They can understand weighty concepts and, but it, the spoonful of sugar goes, it goes, the medicine goes down a little bit easier with the spoonful of sugar. That's superhero content as well. Um, yeah, it's, it, it was a very good formative storytelling experience from our, from a young age. And I still have great admiration with it to this day. Good choice. You know what I want to buy? <clears throat> Maybe it'll be at the next con or whatever is like an animation still from that show oh, yeah. of like the background of Gotham, but I want it to be like the actual still so I can hang it up on my wall and be like, yeah, I own this piece of art because that's what it is. It's art. Yeah. I love animation stills. Mwah. So good. Uh, great choice. Now, my number 10 is Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Now, this show. <laughs> you did to me, I had to do it to you. No. Involuntary um, wretch. <laughs> no, my number 10 is The Last of Us. Now, hear me out. Okay. Hear me out. Okay. I know it's only one season. I know part two is being created right now and won't come out till 2025. Excuse me, season two. And we all know my thoughts on part two and... A lot of people's thoughts on part two. However, 
the reason why it's on this list and why it's only number 10 is because this is the greatest adaptation of any video game product to fit to the small screen or big screen, in my opinion, Agreed. of all time. Um, and everybody else agrees, too, because recently it just won at the Video Games Awards Best Adaptation. So hmm. congrats, HBO and everybody there. But yeah, just not even like talking about the video game. And we all know how that's like probably one of the most perfect games out there. Yeah, and just the adaptation towards it. Pedro Pascal, phenomenal actor. Bella Ramsey, they're great. They're phenomenal as well. They have a bright future. And just the the artistry that Neil Druckmann and, um, oh, what's his name? Chernobyl, the same guy. Craig Mason. Craig Mason? Yeah, that's him. Just how much care and passion they put into this show was phenomenal. I know some video game people had problems that there was in a lot of zombie fights, but it's not a show about zombies. It's a show about a father who lost his daughter and can he learn to love again or can he learn to just accept living again? And the chemistry between Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey is so good. I mean, a compilation video pops up on my YouTube feed every month or so of Joel being a dad for 13 minutes to Ellie. Like, that's usually the title of the video all the time. And it's just great. It's just great storytelling. It's great television. It keeps you on your seat. Like, it like it keeps you on the edge of your seat throughout the entire time. I mean, the best episode in that show is Bill and Frank. The Bill and Frank episode. Just a beautiful story about love between two men. Um doesn't even like yeah it holds the plot like to a halt a little bit but it's still told like beautifully it's still a great episode it's still a great show it's it's even a more awesome show because of it because again it's not about the apocalypse or zombies it's about people living in the apocalypse and how can they adapt to the times that they're in and it's just a well it's a great adaptation it's the best adaptation of all time and it's one of the best TV shows to come out in the past year. And I can't believe it came out this year. That's, I can't. Like, it can't, like, no. the first episode You're was January 13th. Nope. It's la, la, insane la, 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 how long it is. If you think I'm, if you think I'm lying that I think this show is amazing, I freaking bought it on 4K, all right? I love this show. It's great. Season two is going to piss me off. I know it is, but I love this show. So good. It is an incredible show. I And I agree with you. People often mistake what it's actually supposed to be about. They think it's about killing the zombies. They even think it's about Joel and Ellie, which it technically is. That's why the Bill and Frank episode bothered so many people. Because well, why are we debating, devoting a whole episode to these guys? I'm like, well, okay, look, most of the show, if you notice from start to end, Joel and Ellie are really just the frame tale. It's all about these little slice of life stories in the apocalypse. Every single one of the episodes may feature Joel and Ellie pretty prominently, but it's about the other characters. It's about um, uh, Tess, right? Is her name? It's about uh, yeah. it's about Tess. It's about Bill and Frank. It's about Kathleen, Henry, and Sam. Uh, I'm forgetting some of the others now. Uh, Riley, etc. 
it's about all the side people really and then Joel and and then Joel and Ellie are at the start and the end it's about them we're just it's their adventures through the apocalypse or how we see the world but it's about the people they meet along the way who inform their journeys it's a pretty powerful show uh even without the video game attached to it i think it's just a good show it brought the last of us to a whole bunch of people who never or never would even play the game Mm -hmm, exactly and convinced them it was a good story so deserves props just for that season two is going to be so interesting it's my most anticipated thing to come out see the thing is i don't think they're going to change a lot from pat from part two a lot of people are like oh well they're gonna they're gonna change it no they won't neil Druckmann's still in charge and he stands by a part two he stands by his choices and i respect him for that here's the funny thing that i read because pedro pascal's not going to be physically in new mandalorian stuff apparently because he's so busy yeah and i think he said something i think it was because of the last of us season two but for people who know what happens in part two He's not going to be, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like his schedule's not that kept, but I also heard he's supposed to be Reed Richards in Fantastic Four. Like that's the rumor going around. I don't know if that's confirmed yet. Yeah. I don't know about that. I don't know. It's an interesting casting. But... He's a very popular guy. Yeah, and that's what I'm afraid of. It feels like a popularity stunt instead. Like I, I just don't know if I see him as Reed Richards. He doesn't. It's a bit old. He doesn't. It's a bit old to play Reed Richards a little bit. No, Reed Richards has always kind of been this middle-aged guy. Anyway, it's not his age. It's just like his vibe doesn't scream Reed Richards to me. Neither did John Krasinski's. To mm. be clear, I was never huge on that fan casting either, and I didn't. He didn't really impress me either. I, I don't know. Casting directors so tend to know what they're doing. Favorite was Miles Teller. <laughs> I never even watched that movie. I don't but, think anyone could, should. <laughs> Yeah, casting directors tend to know what they're doing. So, we'll see. Uh, So, my number nine, I think, actually might piss you off a little bit. Better Call Saul. Okay. Breaking Bad is not on the list at all. Now now you've pissed me off. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There it is. Yeah, you know, I, I, I stand by that opinion very strongly. Better Call Saul is better than Breaking Bad. And the people who don't think otherwise never gave Better Saul, Better Call Saul a chance. Or they're so in their bubble of Breaking Bad's the best show ever because it's just what they regurgitate over and over and over again. Better Call Saul is superior television for my money. Not to say Breaking Bad isn't great because I, I really think they're about on par with each other. But Better Call Saul did a lot for... A lot more for me on an emotional level because Jimmy McGill is for, I think he's a more interesting protagonist than Walter White Walter was very um, he was empathetic in the beginning and then slowly turns into more of an asshole and Jimmy does the same thing but I think it's very interesting because we never knew where Walter's journey was going when we started watching Breaking Bad. But the entirety of Better Call Saul is completely informed by the fact we know how much of a dirtbag Jimmy McGill is going to become in the future. 
And that's how it completely gets you because Jimmy is actually a completely likable protagonist. He's a guy who's a little slipping. Jimmy is a little bit of a, he's a con man. He makes some bad decisions, but he's fundamentally a good guy who you want to see prove his brother wrong and actually become a lawyer, stand up to Howard Hamlin and all the guys who tell him he can't do what he's actually good at. You want to see this guy succeed, but you don't want to see him turn into Saul Goodman. And that's why with every success, you're like, awesome, Jimmy's finally finding success. He's proven he's proven the naysayers wrong, but oh, every step brings him a little closer to Saul Goodman, and I don't want to see that. So the entire show is toying with your emotions from day one. It's all... I've never seen a prequel handle th- handle that kind of thing so effectively before where it, you it really makes you dread coming to the original. Um but Better Call Saul I think is a great prequel. It fleshes out really anything Breaking Bad left open ended. Uh if you've never seen Breaking Bad, I think it would even be more affecting in Better Call Saul because you know how some things end uh obviously um, but it, it has this kind of surprise factor. Even, even if you know how things are going to go, it still manages to surprise you. It really fleshes out so many of, uh, Breaking Bad supporting characters, specifically Gus and Hank. They get a whole lot more to do in Better Call Saul. They're massive parts of the show. And then there's Nacho. His story is incredible as well. Um, just fantastic all around because Nacho is one of the, and oh, and freaking Kim Wexler, Rhea Seahorn. She makes this show. She's probably the whole best performance in the whole Breaking Bad universe. I'm willing to wager on that. She's absolutely incredible as a foil for Jimmy. Just this, this lawyer who she's super idealistic and really wants to help people uh, any way she can. But Jimmy's also a very bad influence on her and starts taking her down a, a morally gray path, which she's a little too at home in sometimes. So he's kind of corrupting her and she's kind of keeping him from being corrupted. Oh, and then we get uh, later on, we get more storylines with the Salamanca family and we get the best villain in the whole Breaking Bad universe, Lalo Salamanca. Ah, this show does villains so exceptionally. So it basically bounces back and forth between this semi, uh, this kind of absurdist comedic, uh, lawyer con man story and this super serious gritty crime drama with, uh, with the mob in New Mexico, all leading up to the status quo we know in Breaking Bad. And then the two worlds start bleeding, pretty uncomfortably the more the series goes on it's it's very funny it's heartfelt the action's awesome too the acting is absolutely incredible it works both as a prequel and as a standalone thing it's just it's the coolest legal drama show you'll ever see it 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 really it makes being a con man look really cool i love every time jimmy runs a con on somebody it's endlessly entertaining uh to see him pull one over on people especially people that deserve it it's great when he uses his powers for good it's tragic when he uses his powers for bad 
and the conclusion keeps you guessing right to the very end. Also, if you are a fan of Breaking Bad, there are some flash forwards to what happens to, uh, to Saul Goodman after Breaking Bad as well. So it does continue the universe forward as well. And you never quite know how it's going to turn out for him, even till the very end. But I'm incredibly satisfied with Better Call Saul. It's a, it's a great six seasons of television. Admittedly, it takes a couple of years to get going. But once it once it goes firing on all cylinders, it equals and even surpasses Breaking Bad in many areas. And yeah, it's my number nine favorite show of all time. Consistently entertaining. Good pick. The only thing I'm mad about is that I can't do a debate episode with you because I haven't, you haven't seen it Better yet. Call Saul. It's we'll get on there. The list. We'll get there. Yeah. And I can't even be mad at your take because it's made by Vince Gilligan. Like, both shows are by Vince Gilligan, so it's just him upping. I would be disappointed if it wasn't on par or better than Breaking Bad. You know what I mean? It's all the same people better at their craft now. Yeah, exactly. And with, like, modern technology. And I've seen, like, some shots, like, he uses low light or, like, natural light in a great way during, like, some night shoots. And it just looks beautifully, like, cinematography-wise. Yes. Like, um... What's the camera that he uses? Whatever. It doesn't matter. It's like the Sony A4 or whatever it is, and it's great for low light stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, decent pick. I I just haven't seen it. Funny enough, I've seen all the flash forwards because those clips just popped up when it happened. Ah, I haven't yeah. seen the actual show. So all that. Um stuff with the Cinnabon. Yeah, yeah stuff like that. <laughs> um also, people go watch El Camino. I don't think people talk about it enough. It's El Camino's movie. good, too. Um, uh, my number nine is kind of a surprise. I got reminded of this show a couple weeks ago. Was is a uh, Mindhunter. A uh, Netflix psychological thriller that came out in uh, 2017. Directed by David Fincher. Starring Jonathan Groff and Holt uh, McCallany. I hope I'm saying that right. Probably not. Uh, It's basically just, um, it's about these two FBI agents who go around and interview these serial killers or known serial killers, accused, blah, 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 and all that, and try to decipher why they do what they do. And it's kind of slowly you see why or how they're basically studying the human psyche and, you know, how they can, how... Because this is takes place, I believe, in the 50s. No, not the 50s. I want to say 70s, maybe. 60s, 70s. I want to say this takes place in. And it's really, it's their study about mental health. And if you know anything about the 60s and 70s, nobody cares, gives a shit about mental health. So it's really like, how can the human psyche affect these people? Or are they really that crazy? Um, or did something just go, like, what led to them? committing these murders and it's some of Mm. like the most famous serial killers of all time that make appearances like charles manson ed camper is a big one in the show um and what really sucks about the show is that it's only two seasons and it was canceled sadly um mostly by Mm. david fincher because he said he said something this year in february i think where it was too expensive to make and he doesn't feel that audience retention came back enough on Netflix, which, you know, it's very disappointing, but it's one of those like great shows that 
if it kept continuing, it would have been probably one of the best shows of all time, in my opinion. Mm. Um, I never because it. it's just so well. It's well so it's filmed so well. It's the acting's really good. I mean, it's not super serious all the time. There is some comedy stuff with it too, but there's also like some funny moments that leave you. It's it's kind of like a dark comedy as well. Um, Jonathan Groff plays Holden Ford, who's kind of this. He's not like he he understands the human psyche enough, but he himself is still kind of like this introverted guy who has trouble like speaking to people normally or he's not like, you know, he's not like the typical, you know, lead guy who's like very charismatic or whatever. He plays sort of this um, very straight to the point guy of like, oh, well, maybe it's because this guy's blah, blah, blah. And then this happened and he doesn't understand you know, the social cues of, he's kind of like Sheldon from Big Bang Theory, like Mm -hmm. pulled down from like 10 levels. Um, And Bill Tench, his partner, is just like a great, uh, it's kind of like a buddy cop show at the same time. He's just like a great, like big muscle guy who's kind of there to call out bullshit when there's bullshit. And then um, Wendy's there as well, who plays like an actual psychologist and joins the team later on in the season. Um, who's played by Anna Torv, who played Tess in The Last of Us, which I just realized that. Um, She's great. And um, yeah, fantastic show. Sad that it got canceled and probably won't ever come back because I do understand the the cost stuff with that, but it's it's so good that I do recommend people still watch it. Um, They were building up to them, like capturing or uh, studying like the BTK killer um murders and all that because they would cut to like the btk and what he was doing around the because he wasn't caught he did like his murders in the late 60s early 70s so it's based on real murders it's based on real murderers but i it's more like these guys uh like ford and tench are more uh fictional i want to say like they're based on like some of these stories a lot of the all the murderers are real and some of the a lot of the interviews are real, but there's some fiction thrown into it for just like dramatic effects. So it is based on like real stuff that has happened. It does get dark. I'm not going to lie. Uh, they're dealing with murderers and a lot of them are child murderers as well. So it's not for everybody. Um, but I, it's just a well-filmed show. Fantastic cast and all that. What Very well entertaining. Yeah, good show. Yeah, I never... Never tried that out, but uh, yeah, maybe give it a shot someday. I got a I got a name drop, Michael Mando. Going back to Better Call Saul for a sec, because I forgot his name, and I, I I need to shout him out because he was incredible in the show, and that I, was he deserves Nacho, the right? respect. Yeah, yeah, yes. he's fantastic in that show. He's also fantastic in Far Cry Three, one of the best video game villains of all time. Great actor. My number eight, Mad Men. Wow. I'm just surprised how low it is. I'm so interested to see your top five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mad Men. Uh, I love me my period piece television. And this one's spectacular. I love the the vibe of the late 50s, early 60s. Everyone dressed in such gorgeous clothing, the suits, the dresses. I love the, the colors and the designs on everything. Um... 
fantastic aesthetic and production design on this show. Interesting thing about Batman, I find, is that every character is effectively unlikable or becomes unlikable nice. throughout the show. They like they're all awful people, basically. But they're written with such complexity that you also end up rooting for basically everybody. That it, it's so interesting because everyone is so three dimensional and well fleshed out that I hate them all and love them all in equal measure. They're they're like real people. I can tell you all their flaws and eccentricities. Um, I haven't seen a show. Uh, there aren't many shows which develop their core cast as fully as Mad Men's do. Um, get really deep into their psyches and their traumas and uh, their joys in life and their self-destructive tendencies, mostly. Uh, another joy of Mad Men is Don Draper's pitch meetings. The way John Hamm can sell basically anything is a delight episode by episode. It kind of... Well, now I'm starting to see the trend. I like seeing Jimmy McGill as a con man being really good at being a con man. I like seeing Don Draper be really good at being an advertising guy. I just like shows about people who are really good at what they do and not always jobs that are very high profile like a con man or an ad executive, but it's just very satisfying to see well-written, well-acted people do jobs really well. Um, but I think one of the most interesting stories on this show is Elizabeth Moss's Peggy Olsen, who starts off as just, I think she starts off as Don's secretary because um, it's the 1950s and women don't work for very long. They're just secretaries and then they get married off and have families. <laughs> and that's, that's all they're good for at the time. And Peggy's like, I don't really, I don't really want that. I want to be a copy girl and get into advertising. And they're like, sure. Yeah. Right. Young lady. But just Dawn kind of becomes her mentor and through sheer determination, she proves herself just as good as any of the guys there, even though she's the only girl in the room who does the job. All the other girls there are mostly airheaded secretaries or they don't really have any ambitions or anything, but she proves herself worthy of, um, uh, of the position. It's a fight for uh, her fight. It's not like she's not being overtly feminist about it or anything. She's not trying to do it to prove women can do it. She just wants to do it and happens to be a good, um, a good role model in the process. And then it, it's all, it's all about the, uh, the dark side of 1950s, 60s idealism. Cause like I said, it's a great era to look at on the surface. It's so colorful. And you think back to the, effectively the, the propaganda, the, the nuclear family post cold war, tensions america's riding high on an economic boom it's post-world war ii everybody's got the white picket fence uh the the perfect wife and children and it, everything is perfect like don draper is uh like john ham is a very classically handsome man he's married to january jones in the show is betty draper and she's 
the gorgeous housewife. Their kids seem perfect. Everything about Don Draper's life is perfect on the outside. He's got a great job, great household, but there's a dark side to it. He's deeply unsatisfied with absolutely everything about his life. And he's kind of goes out of his way just to find some thrills wherever he can by serial adultery or uh, in his job taking pretty high risks as well. He's just, he he's very unsatisfied with his life, even though it's effectively perfect. It can't go any better for him, but he just, he's looking for a way to ruin it uh, un- unconsciously. And just seeing his deterioration as a character is very interesting because he's got this tragic backstory is the thing and nobody really knows where he comes from. He's just, he's the, he's the mysterious man, uh, strong, silent type, doesn't really speak much about his past, representative of a lot of guys from that era. So it's, a, it's all about exploring the dark side of of that reality behind all the glitz and glamour. What were these people's lives really like in a dramatic way? Uh, these people in high profile positions, uh, it gets very emotionally complex and deep. And there's some very disturbing moments in the show that stuck with me. It takes some pretty dark turns and, uh, but all throughout, it's just very, it's very well done show entertaining from start to finish yeah just got better that's a great time pick. really yeah that's definitely on the list as well um yeah 2000 it came out in 2007 2007 was like around like mid-2000s great year for like television just like yeah. a lot of <clears throat> iconic shows around that time um <clears throat> my number eight one eight right yeah, yeah. um something a little more recent in times. I'm a little embarrassed to say, but not at the same time. No, I'm going to stand proud as my list. Legend of Vox Machina. Right. I love this show. It's so good. It's critical role. I've talked about it all the time. It's, you know, all those voice actors. Liam O'Brien, Ashley Johnson, Laura Bailey, Travis William, Talison Jaffe, Matt Mercer, Marisha Ray, Sam Regal. Did I get all of them? I think I did. I think that's all eight. I think I got them all. Um, or did I miss someone? I think you missed. Did you no. miss Travis? I said Travis. I'm pretty I sure I said Travis. Travis. I should have, because Brock's one of my favorite characters in that show. I, Ashley was the first one I said. Okay. <laughs> Pay attention, Joe. Um, <laughs> Sorry, it's I'm late. Kidding. I'm zoning out. Mind wandering. Yeah, it's it's that it's the it's the show based off of a D and D campaign that they did over you know eight so years ago um, and that they've adapted into an animation style TV show and it's one of the best fantasy shows out there. It's hilariously funny. It's well choreographed, beautifully animated. I'm pretty sure it's by the same guy who animated the Justice League show um, back in okay. the mid-2000s. I think it's that same guy that they went to. I saw in the behind the scenes. The music is phenomenal. The acting is great. Just the storytelling, you can tell it's from D&D because of just the wildness and the randomness of it, but it still all flows together beautifully because it's Matt Mercer and he's one of the greatest dungeon masters, uh, dungeon masters of all time. It's a beautifully well-told um, story. And just the characters alone are great. 
Percy, Grog, I mean, their stories are amazing. Um, <clears throat> Pike, Scanlan, Vex and Vax, uh, fuck, what's her name? Did I say Pike? Pike. Who am I missing? Grog. Pike, yeah, Pike, yeah, all of them. They're all great. They're all lovable. They're all fantastic characters. And they get even more told, like, their stories get told more in different episodes of season two. My favorite is Grog versus his uncle, that whole story arc, how Grog and Pike met, and then their, his fight against uh Kevdak is phenomenal. Where does your strength come from? It comes from my friends. Ah, it gets me hyped every time. I love this show. It's fantastic. It helped me get into D&D. It's an amazing show. I cannot wait for season three. I can't wait for when Critical Role does their, uh, the show for, um, The Mighty Nine that's coming out probably after season three of Vox Machina. I'm hyped. I, I love this show. It's endlessly entertainment. There's never a dull moment in the show. There's it gets better and better with each episode. It's fantastic. Yeah, Legend of Vox Machina is incredible. It's uh, it's incredibly entertaining. Just my favorite thing about that show is the banter between all the characters. They feel like real friends who just rip off each other in between the fights. The the dialogue is very quick and sharp and funny and speaks to a character as well. The plots are epic and sometimes ridiculous in equal measure on occasion. Uh, never afraid to go all out on that show. Uh, the character arcs are very solid as well. I mean, I'm partial to Percy. I am a big Percy fan, but um, yeah, Vax season one is my favorite. Yeah. You're, you're a fan of the twins. Yeah, I bought their dice sets. <laughs> yeah, but all, all the characters, everyone gets a chance to shine. They're all, yeah, nobody's sidelined on that show. They're, it's just, it's very well done. And I, how many times have you watched the show through again? Three. Three times. And he only Which discovered means I have to it. to watch it a fourth time because I yeah. got to keep it even. And then the you third only discovered it a few so months ago. So. Oh, God damn it. I keep getting Discord updates. Turn off. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and you yeah, you only discovered the show this summer, so you you've seen it yeah. quite a lot. All right, so my number 7 is The Good Place. Okay. First sitcom on the list here. Um although this is a weird sitcom compared to other sitcoms. This is the most serialized sitcom I've ever seen in my life. It's got uh, a little over 50 episodes and every single episode I think is named with a chapter. It's like chapter one to chapter 50 something. The entire show from start to end, like forget seasons. You can just binge this entire show and it's just an escalating story of craziness in the afterlife. Have you seen it? Sorry. Have you seen The Good Place? Okay. No, 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 no. I've no, yeah. I've, I've, sadly, I've seen the finale twist, which I won't say here. That's a good twist. I know. Yeah, it's a good, yeah. Uh, so basically the plot of The Good Place, for anyone who doesn't know, it's about this woman named Eleanor, who, The Good Place is essentially heaven, but not really in a religious way. It's just, this is the place where the good people go when they die. Uh, she's not a good person, is the thing. So uh-huh. she gets so she gets to the good place 
and she realizes that somebody with her exact name was supposed to be in the good place, but she ended up there instead. And so now her whole thing is a moral conundrum. It's do I effectively end up in hell if I reveal myself or do I just kind of ride the rest of eternity out in heaven as best I can and just, and keep my secret problem is the guy who's supposed to the, <laughs> the original, the, okay, here's the problem though. Like, cause she's a bad person. She doesn't really care, but in, in the eternal afterlife, the main person who in the afterlife, you get your soulmate, right? And this, and Eleanor's uh, soulmate is a guy named Chidi, and he's a moral. Uh, he was a professor of um, uh, what do you call it? Just like moral philosophy back on Earth. And when he finds out she's not the real Eleanor, he's got to keep her secret. But now there's a, now there's a problem because this guy of moral philosophy, Eleanor's cheating him out of in in eternity with his soulmate because she's too selfish to go to hell. So then she's like, okay, okay, okay. What if, what if I actually earn my place in the good place? And you're a moral philosophy professor. Why don't you teach me how to be a good person? So that's basically what the good place is, is she's trying to fit in in heaven while learning to be a good person, somebody who would actually belong there. And uh, that's the plot for season one. It gets wild. It's like, it, it's a massive journey throughout all sections of the afterlife there's a lot like you start getting a lot more characters from the bad place like the the demons and uh and whatnot show up and then there's um ted danson plays michael he's the architect of the good place he's just the super positive angel who is um who crafts the neighborhood everybody lives in tries to make sure everybody's having a good time and having um, and then there's Darcy Carden as Janet, who's this sentient super being, essentially, with all knowledge of the universe. And uh, everyone, and Janet's kind of a personal assistant information broker. Uh, it's a really funny show. But even if you take out the comedy, the, the plot is absolutely ridiculous. You could, like, if you made a, a straight drama version of this, it would have been just as popular. But the uh, but the kind of goofy comedy sells it. The character interactions are they they range from absolutely ridiculous to super heartfelt, and uh, all the emotional payoffs on that show are earned. And the freaking plot twists on that show, I have never like some dramas. Many most dramas I've seen don't pull off plot twists as convincingly as The Good Place. That show freaking blew my mind when I watched it the first time through. And it just gets crazier as it goes. I think season three is the absolute weirdest one, though, because of the turn they take in there. I, I'm not going to spoil anything for anybody, but it just highly recommend The Good Place. It's incredible television. It'll make you feel everything, but it's mostly it's mostly light stuff. And I really think at the end, I became a better person after watching The Good Place. After four seasons of moral philosophy... The entire show from start to end is essentially, what does it mean to be a good person? And can a bad person become a good person? And what's that journey look like? And I think by the end, after seeing all these characters' experiences with their own 
morality. Uh, you you must be a very troubled person if you don't come away a little bit better for having watched this show start in. Well said. Yeah, it's definitely on my list of shows to watch. Um, yeah. Because I am a somewhat Kristen Bell fan. I think she's absolutely hilarious. And it's it's definitely a show I will watch. I just, I gotta like, how you have a back catalog of video games, I have a back catalog of TV shows. Yeah. It's just Kristen so Bell's tough. great, but <laughs> I think the real stars of the show are um, William Jackson Harper as Chidi is my favorite character. But I think Jamila Jamil as Tahani gave me the most laughs in the show. Mm. And Darcy Carden as Janet. So funny. Yeah. Good choice. All right. Well, my number seven is Batman, the animated series. I am loving this show. Um, Just finished a couple episodes. Um, Santana and the mechanic. I believe it's the start near the start of season two. Um, Yeah, I'm loving it. I love this show. I was sleeping on it for years and then Oddly enough, when Kevin Conroy passed away, I was like, you know what? Out of respect for him, I'm finally going to do it. You know, I've loved Kevin Conroy uh, since the Arkham games. He's always been my Batman. But I got to start watching from his beginning to really appreciate him. And it's just a phenomenal show. There's no bad episodes, I feel. There's okay episodes, but every single one is great. This is the definitive Batman. This is the definitive Joker and Mark Hamill, who is now retired, which makes sense from the Joker role, um, because that pairing is just always iconic. I mean, like just like you said, this music is phenomenal. The animation is beautiful. The black backgrounds, like you said, just add to the tone of the show. Um, and just even the relationships between the characters. Like, this is the best. Not only is this the best Batman and Joker. But it's the best Batman and Alfred and their relationship with each other. That pairing is so great and phenomenal. And just the amount of episodes I could list off. I mean, there's the one where he's, you know, he is sort of in like this maybe dreamlike state and he's not Batman. Someone else is Batman. There's the Mr. Freeze one. That's that one in Emmy, like you said. It's phenomenal stuff. A bunch of Joker episodes. I think the second or third episode is the Joker one where it's like the it's the Christmas one and like and it's like Robin laid an egg like that's where the whole the Christmas song for the Joker comes from. It's just it's phenomenal. Bells, Batman smells yeah. Robin laid an egg. The Batmobile <laughs> lost its wheel and the Joker got away. <laughs> it's just phenomenal storytelling that was tailored for kids but didn't treat him like idiots or treat him like children, and just goes to show that. You know, even if it's for kids, you can still make phenomenal television. And it still hurts that Kevin Conroy has passed. Um, I just know he's he's chilling up there, resting with also the original Hardy Quinn voice actor as well, who also passed a few months later. Um, yeah, phenomenal show. I'm definitely going to keep on watching it. Um, can't wait to... It's going to be sad when I finally finish it because I feel like I'll have like a what now moment and probably just start all over again. It's sort of become 
because I've been going on and off with the show a lot just because I've been watching other stuff or playing other games, but it's or it's sort of just become a comfort show to me at the same time where it's like, well, I don't really, I feel like just having a wind down moment or just, I feel like I want to like make some popcorn, but I don't really want to watch a movie. Let me just pop in an episode of Batman, the animated series, because it's sort of episodic um, in a way, but there's also some story arcs as well. And it's just sort of become a comfort show to me, which isn't a surprise, but also a little shocking uh, for the time for me. Because I think it just, it's like a nostalgic thing too. Like, it just take me back to being a, a kid and just watching this great show that, you know, uh, kids watch back then and I never got to, but it's a phenomenal show. That it is. Number six, Doctor Who. Rich, I'm not going to talk your ear off about this one. I already did that for... What's Doctor Who? <laughs> it's the best show concept ever made. If you didn't watch my episode, I'll give you the elevator pitch again. It's the show that can go literally anywhere, do anything in time and space. That is the premise. That is all you need to know. It can be absolutely anything and everything at all times. Mostly what it is, is it's a series of morality plays where a guy who's really good at a wandering traveler who's really good at fixing things shows up, sticks his nose in business that's not really his, and tears down oppression and tyranny wherever he finds it. Often with grand lectures about how closed-minded and stupid people are to even get to this point. Um... He's kind of a prick, but we love him because uh, the doctor is a good person just trying to do right in a cruel universe and they make a difference everywhere they go um, and their journey just never seems to stop from 1963 to present to David Tennant and back to David Tennant again. Uh, by the way, I'm loving the new specials. Uh, I just finished the giggle the other day. G great. Uh, great couple episodes. I'm excited for, for shooting got was, uh, doctor actually in a, in the, in the coming weeks from when this episode's filmed. So start seeing that oh, in the yeah. year. Uh, yeah. So doctor, it's been a lot of things over 50 years, a lot, great, a lot, not so great, but it's been consistently inventive and it, it's pretty crazy. I don't think I've ever seen a show try to tackle as many crazy things in one run as I've seen Doctor Who do. Some things you can have a pretty grounded episode in one season about, I don't know, just like things in our world, in our time taking place is stuff we completely can wrap our head around now. And the next one could be set in the far reaches of space with aliens and terrible special effects and can be absolutely goofy and, but just as fun. The tones shift wildly at a breakneck pace and, but it's always inspiring and seeing the companions, I think is even more inspiring because these people are just usual humans most of the time, but traveling with the doctor, this, this great person, with great ideals and goals in life inspires them to be the best they can be and 
brings them out of their comfort zones to reach their greatest potential as people. So I think for the companions, a big lesson to learn is just, well, this is, you can be your best self only when you break out of your comfort zone and try new things. Maybe it'll be scary, but you can be so much more than you think you are. You just need a, a push sometimes to show it. And that's what Doctor Who is to me. It's a it's a continual reminder that sometimes you just you just gotta you gotta push a little bit harder and not settle for good enough. Yeah, good choice. Um yeah. I'll probably I might have to watch it. The new uh new season that's coming is a new season? Is that what it is? Yeah. Coming, yeah, coming out next year. I really year think it's a good, it's a great year. place to jump in. We got a new showrunner back. We got a new doctor. We got a new companion. It's effectively yeah. a fresh slate. So, all right, great place to jump out. in. Um, my number six, just just not making the top five, is Breaking Bad. Yep, the all show. Right, so you're Joe doing hates. the mirror. No, he doesn't yeah. hate it, but uh, yeah. Um, Oddly enough, the only reason it's probably up here so high is just because Brian Cranston. I mean, talk about a guy who dominated the TV world for six years. I mean, I think for, I think he's won six Emmys. I'm pretty sure. That's how many Emmys he's won for lead role. Um, and just a complete career change, too. I mean, he was known to be a comedic actor. He was on Seinfeld. He was on Malcolm in the Middle. And then the show comes along and just shows how amazing he is in dramatic roles, which, you know, gives you a better, a good example of why Joe was right when he said comedic actors are more talented than dramatic <laughs> or something like that, uh, or they can play drama more than uh, drama actors can play comedy. A drama actor can't do comedy, but a comedy actor mm -hmm. has to be able to... It's harder to make people laugh than it is yeah. to just play straight dramatic. You have to have more multi-skills to be a comedic actor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But people yeah. just seem to think less of them because they're goofy as a general rule. Mm -hmm. it's I mean, cool. yeah. And then this just like, and also it's Vince Gilligan's, like one of his first shows. I mean, just the, the storytelling of how a man who is um, dying from cancer and he's sort of have this midlife crisis of like, Oh man, I haven't done I haven't done anything in my life. I mean, I have this amazing IQ. I have all these, you know, diplomas and PhDs and all that, but I'm a high school teacher. I haven't done anything in my life and I he's financially poor. He's his family is on the brink of like bankruptcy and he has nothing to leave them with. He's got a baby on the way. He's got a son with cerebral palsy. Um so he feels what's something I can do to provide cook some meth and so he goes and finds jesse aaron paul who is also phenomenal probably the best character in the show in my opinion um and just together their chemistry together once again is just phenomenal those two and they both whenever they deviate throughout the show they always find a way to come back to each other pretty quickly they're a great duo great pair this is the show that introduced Gus as a villain, and he's phenomenal in it as well. Saul Goodman as well. Hank, all the great, all the mostly all the great uh, characters you named off of Better Call Saul originated from Breaking Bad. I just think structurally this show has a perfect, you know, beginning, phase, middle, and end. Um, 
I do think it sort of lacks a little bit in season three around that time where Walt is set up in the big lab or whatever. Like, it slows down a little bit, but then it starts to pick up once again. And um, it's just a great show. It's just a great show about this man who, he's a family man. He's done all the right things in life, but you just slowly see him become more and more of the kingpin of Albuquerque, of just the meth world and just how that corruption slowly turns him into the worst person imaginable. And it's just a great character arc for uh, Walter White. And um, yeah, great show. I think I misspoke earlier and I'm just realizing now because I'm, I'm tired and my brain's not working right. But when I, I think I said earlier that uh, Better Call Saul talks deals a lot about Hank, but I meant Mike. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Hank is in it, but confused. not not much. <laughs> he does make a few appearances as a DEA agent. They're um, both older white men. It's fun. <laughs> they all Hank's look a, alike. I can Hank's make that joke because I'm white. I'm kidding. Um, controversy. Ryan likes controversy. <laughs> this is me uh, number- stirring the pot. <laughs> Uh, okay, my number five is a show with no white people in it at all. Uh, the Simpsons. Nice. <laughs> See what you did there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know if a show has ever made me laugh more consistently. It's a show that's just kind of been around my entire life. I only started watching it within the last year or two, actually sitting down and trying to start it. I'm on season... 11 right now i don't know if i'll go all the way up to 34 or 35 or whatever we're on now but i've seen all the good ones um yeah the simpsons is just the writing on this show in its peak period is razor sharp the everything from visual gags to just one-off jokes like I was just looking up a, a list of some some of Homer's best lines and even even this absolutely stupid ones when he gets a call on the phone. I'm sorry, you'll have to speak up. I'm wearing a towel. <laughs> just <laughs> it's it's a good line. Or uh, or when he's t- talking to his kids, kids, you tried your best and you failed. Remember, the lesson here is don't try. Great stuff. Nice. Uh, I can I can quote the show all day, but it's also in it um, at its best. It also told some really serious uh, emotional stories as well. Uh, there's some really good family moments in it as well, and that's why the show kind of lost things later uh, when everyone kind of became more cartoony versions of themselves. the The stakes didn't matter as much. The Simpsons was at its best when it was a more grounded satire of an American nuclear family when Homer was dumb and a little ignorant, but he also had his family's best interest at heart. Um, Marge is the doting mother uh, with some old fashioned ideals. And she kind of puts those on Lisa sometimes too. And, but Lisa's the forward thinking radical of the family uh, doesn't want to eat meat. She likes jazz. So she's definitely a, on a bad road. You like jazz? Uh, and then uh, and then there's Bart. 
who's uh, the troublemaker consistently, always, Bart's always hilarious. One of my favorite things about The Simpsons, and I think the thing it does better than any show I've ever seen, is that how it handles its supporting cast. I don't think there's ever been a series with a more fleshed out supporting cast than the town of Springfield. Think of all the side characters outside of the main family. Everybody from Principal Skinner, um, Edna Krabappel, uh, like it, like just in the school, like uh, Otto, the bus driver, or all the guys at Moe's, Lenny, Carl, Barney, Moe himself, uh, Smithers, Mr. Burns, uh, even just like lesser characters that barely show up, like uh, like the jazz, uh, I, I forget his name now, What's Leading Gums Murphy. Is that Krusty? Uh, Dr. Hibbert. Is the clown's name Krusty? Krusty the Clown. The Flanders family. Just I could go on and on and on, uh, but they're, there's, a, there's a million residents of Springfield, and they're all, or even like Kent Brockman, the news reporter, just and they're all consistent characters with their own stories going on in the background, and have a pretty big part to play in, in the, in the character stories. Like it's a show that can throw out so many, uh, characters just as extras and you recognize all of them with, with, yeah, they're, um, expertly voice casted as well. Every line delivery is golden. You're so funny. Um, I just love it. It's, it just makes me laugh more than most things do. It's just, it's a very sharp show. Uh, it's animated well too. It's just a very, very funny show, but it also tugs at your heartstrings sometimes too. It can make you feel emotions when it's at its best. And there's a reason it's been going on for 30 plus years. It's, uh, it's an exceptional show. I, I think it's one of the most relatable family dynamics I've ever seen. I know, I know enough people in my life that I'm like, yeah, it's it's a satire, but it's pretty accurate to how a lot of family drama, family dynamics go, even if it's not that extreme. So it's it's a very relatable show. So that's number five. Nice. Um, I was not allowed to watch The Simpsons growing up, so I can neither confirm nor deny its greatness. But the fact that it's been around for thirty years. Says a lot. Um, yeah. Weirdly enough, I was allowed to watch Family Guy, though. So it's whatever. Uh, <laughs> my number five is Game of Thrones, specifically seasons one through six. Now, right. I know people usually say seasons All one through four. Nothing. All or nothing. <sighs> I can't say that. Um, okay. I know some people say seasons one through four. Fuck it. I'll say one through eight. I don't care. Fuck it. Whatever. Um, I ain't a pussy. Uh, (laughs) Some people say seasons one through four because it does drop off around season five, but I still think there's some good things around season five and season six, specifically the battle at hard home in season five and the battle of the bastards in season six, which famously costs like millions and millions of dollars to film uh, for HBO it was, it looks like a movie, like that battle on its own is like a cinematic scale. It's just one of those movies that took over the TV world and just dominated 
like everything in terms of awards, in terms of viewership. I mean, I think, what was it? The Lawn Night episode was the most watched TV premiere in history or something like that at the time. I don't know if anything's beaten it. Um, actually, I don't think that's true. I don't know if it passed the How I Met Your Mother ending or not. I can't remember. Um, it might have or might not have. Um, it was just one of those shows that I watched with my family. I was introduced with and um, every Sunday we would watch it together. And then also I'm a sucker for medieval fantasy stuff. Dragons, magic, swords, shields, all that stuff. It's just got great characters. The Starks are amazing, the entire family. Ned Stark, Rob Stark, um, <clears throat> Jon Snow is great. Uh, Amelia Clark, phenomenal actress who plays Daenerys Targaryen. It's just all of it's. It's just a great medieval fantasy show, but it's also the politics, the, the you know, the games that people play to see who gets to be on the Iron Throne and the betrayals, the twists, the, you know, and just how the Starks, you know, most of them, you know, don't make it that far. But then the ones that do rise back from the top. And yes, this show didn't end great, but, you know... It still means a lot to me, this show, just to how much it impacted my life. And, you know, those first few seasons are phenomenal. The dialogue is amazing. The sets are amazing. And you can't say the show wasn't phenomenal. If if you say the show isn't phenomenal, then how, then the House of the Dragon doesn't get made. You know what I mean? And that show is great, too. Um Saw the trailer for that. Very excited for season two. Um, yeah, so it's just a show that means a lot to me. I know it didn't end great. Joe hasn't seen a freaking episode of it, but that's fine. I haven't watched a lot of stuff he's seen, so it's a tie. Um, yeah, great show. Love the show. Didn't end great, but I'm just going to um, men in black my mind from that last few episodes. What were we just talking about? Uh, Vox Machina. I don't know. I just saw a flash of light and I'm a little fuzzy now. Uh, anyway. I don't know. <laughs> May have been about medieval fantasy. I don't know. Uh, getting on to number four, Daredevil. This is my... Nice. This is, I almost this is put it on my list. This is my Marvel representation on, on my top ten. Um, but I think it deserves to be considered beyond the MCU is just, it's in my top, it's my number four on my top 10 greatest shows of all time. It's just a damn good show. And it happens to be a super, it's like Batman, the animated series just happens to be a superhero show, but it's just a really great series. Uh, Daredevil is my favorite Marvel hero. I, I just love the premise. That's basically... What if Catholic guilt was a superhero? Effectively. <laughs> he's a he's a devout Catholic You're with uh <laughs> with a with an aggressive streak who dresses up like the devil at night to basically deal out God's justice. He sees himself as God's soldier. And uh I just like the irony in it. And justice is blind and all that. The symbolism is great. Like the the behind the scenes metaphors. From the very first scene of this show, I was hooked. 
when Matt Murdock's in the confessional with the uh, forgive me, father. Well, what you you what have you done? You haven't really said anything. No, not for what I've done, for what I'm about to do. And uh, Matt Murdock's do, do, just do, ex- do, 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 do. yeah, getting hyped already. Matt Murdock's an exceptional protagonist. He's just he's just a, he's a good man who doesn't like bullies who everybody underestimates because he's blind, but he's he just wants to do as much good in the world as he can. But he lives by a code. And that's why... And I liked when the code is challenged later on, like with Elektra and Punisher in Season 2, or when he's pushed to the brink, like with, Dare, uh, with Kingpin and Bullseye. His antagonists really make him want to break his moral code and, and put people in the ground and kill them. Or even stick, even somebody who's kind of technically on his side wants to turn him into a killer, use his abilities to, for what he says is the greater good. But Matt knows going, crossing a certain line makes him just as bad as the people he's fighting. He's, he's got to stay on, on the side of good at, uh, at the end of the day. He's got to be able to go to bed at night and feel good about himself even though his entire life is just in this morally gray area, he beats bad guys to a pulp. He lies to his friends about his secret identity. And that causes a lot of pretty strong riffs later on in the show. Um, he's, he's got that classic Marvel thing where being a superhero is a good thing, but it screws up his life more than it. Like it's, it's so all-encompassing in his life, it messes up a lot. He can't be a very good friend or a very good lawyer. Uh, he's not even a good prophesied warrior for Stick because he doesn't do things that way. Um, it's all about finding the balance in life between between what you... It's His whole thing is you can't really have everything you want. He can't... He can't get the girl and be a great lawyer and be a great superhero. He's got to pick a lane, really. And all these outside forces are trying to make him pick a lane and drag him in all directions and just make him crumble in general. But he's uh, he's got to survive through sheer willpower and often the power of faith and and the power of faith in his friends and the Lord and just power through hell's kitchen and bring justice where there is none in a corrupt society. So it's just, it's, it's at the end of the day, it's just about one man's willpower to do good, even though everyone in the world is trying to tear him down. It's a, and season three is my favorite one because it puts Matt at his lowest, his faith in the world's basically shattered. He shut everybody else out and he's just on a one man vengeance quest to effectively become the one thing he never wanted to be. And it's all about, okay, what is this guy at his lowest? Even even at his lowest, is he going to succumb to his darker impulses? Or can he pull himself out of that and, uh, and be the guy he wants to be? And of course, can't talk about the show without talking about Vincent D'Onofrio, the perfect antagonist. Daredevil and Kingpin are the perfect... Um, the perfect rivalry 
in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. One of my all-time favorite. Yeah, there's the picture of all of us together. Yeah. Uh, he's the perfect Remember when you nemesis. absolutely denied Vincent D'Onofrio's handshake? <laughs> <laughs> I, I went I'm right just for kidding. Charlie. You didn't see it. <laughs> I went right for the fist bump with Charlie Cox. Oh. Like just... <sighs> he took it so well, though. Like he knew, like it was an accident. <laughs> yeah. Oops. I denied a handshake Oops. with the kingpin. <laughs> that's that's bad luck, man. <laughs> yeah. But D'Onofrio is a powerhouse. He's a he's an incredible protagonist. But I, I love this show because it doesn't treat its villains with any less nuance than its heroes. Uh, uh, Wilson Fisk is just as layered and complex a character as anybody else on the show um, with his own motivations, which you can't really get behind, but you do understand why he is the way that he is and why he does what he does. Uh, he even has... He's even relatable some ways. Uh, the action in the show is stellar. Some of the most groundbreaking action sequences of the last eight years formed on this show. The uh, the use of one take, pseudo one takes, or sometimes actual one takes um, in this series. Um, just the, the martial arts prowess is really good as well. The combat choreography... Just the themes on this show, the acting, the music, the the general dark and gritty street crime tone. It just it takes everything I love about superheroes and drama and crime drama and just drama in general, character building. It, it, it's it's a perfect amalgamation of all the darkest elements of entertainment I enjoy. It's a phenomenal show. With yeah. enough hope for a good measure. Yeah. It almost made my it. list. It's so close. If there was an 11th spot, I would have put it there. Yeah. Dang. Well, uh, there's, all, there's only so many spots on a top 10 list, which is a shame. Which is kind of funny. 10. It reminds, me of a YouTuber. <laughs> reminds me of a YouTuber, Nostalgic Critic. He does like top 11 lists all the times because it's kind of like a joke. He's like, top 11, because I like to go one step behind. Um, <laughs> it's kind of like a funny joke, but he's just stuck with it for years. One of my favorite YouTubers. He's kind of mellowed down as, as time's gone, but oh, yeah. I think that's just of the times. Um, he's less yelly, but he's a lot more, uh, he's gotten like his, his, um, stuff has gotten smarter, I will say, which is good. The angry internet guy's shtick was funny 15 it's years gone. ago, but yeah. it's played out. Yeah. Yeah. His jokes are hilarious, though. Him and his brother tell amazing jokes. Um, all right, my number four. Another show that I recently watched and completed is The Sopranos. The original. The original anti-hero show. And you're wondering, now, Ryan, what's so great about this show? It's just the starter. I mean, so many other shows have, you know expanded on the anti-hero-ness. I mean, there's Breaking Bad, there's Mad Men. I don't know if Mad Men's anti-hero. I actually don't know that. Better Call Saul. In a way. <laughs> there's The Wire. All these fantastic shows. Why is The Sopranos higher on your list? Because it was the first one to do it. It was the first one to take the chance, really. I mean, I think the whole thing with episode 10, or the episode called College in the first season... 
Um, it's the first time you actually see Tony murder somebody on screen. It's the first time you see the protagonist just outright kill somebody on screen in a TV show, which was not heard of um, <clears throat> in television at the time for your protagonist to just outright murder somebody. And they were, I think HBO execs were really worried about, you know, will people continue to watch after, you know, Tony does something absolutely horrendous. Funny enough, they continued watching all the way to the very end because it was just one of those shows that um, was just true to nature. It's what Goodfellas did for, in movies. Um, Sopranos is for television for the Italian mob around New Jersey, New York. Um, great cast of characters. There's Chris Moltisanti. There's Pauly. Um, um, Sill. Sill's one of my favorite, just a great loyal guy. And then, of course, there's James Gandolfini, just one of the greatest television actors of all time, passed away um, a couple, like a decade ago, I'm pretty sure, or maybe a few years ago, um, a couple decades ago, I can't remember. Um, he was 50, had heart failure, really sad. <clears throat> um, and just Tony Soprano is one of the best television characters of all time. He's this... Italian mobster boss who is having panic attacks and regularly sees a therapist and which is a faux pas in the mob. Um, and he's just sort of battling with his mental illness, his hatred for his mom who didn't raise him correctly. Olivia is one of the biggest villains in the show, which is really funny. All the antagonists are really good in the show. This is just the building block of what the antihero shows have become. I mean, like this is this is the starting point. This is TV history, and it's a phenomenal show. I loved every moment watching it. I don't think it really teeters out at all. Really, I think there is some slower episodes and whatnot, but it's just so much. It delves so much into like the psyche of Tony Soprano. That's phenomenal. I know some people don't like the coma episodes or the dreamlike episodes. I think they're some of my favorites because there's so much you can theorize from it. And I actually like the ending. I think the ending makes sense for what it is, um, because you see everything from Tony's perspective. I won't go into the spoilers for it, but it was like, quote-unquote, controversial at the time. Um, and it's just, it's one of the best shows ever. It's my dad's favorite show, and I didn't watch with him at the time because I was 10, so it was probably one of the shows I wasn't, shouldn't have been watching at the time. Um... Some of the greatest episode, some of the greatest television I've ever seen. I mean, again, with the and then just the, you know, guest stars have come in. I mean, um, have been great. Uh, oh, what's his name? He's the uh, Tony's cousin that comes in. Uh, Steve Buscemi. That's who it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah Steve Buscemi's a great uh, Tony B. Great guest star. Uh, and then the the villains again. I mean, <clears throat> there's Richie Aprile. He's fantastic, season two antagonist. Um, even Janice, who I fucking hate, but she's a great like antagonist of the show who develops more into, who is Tony's sister and develops more into the personality of their mother. Ralphie. Um, Ralphie, phenomenal villain. Um, the actor who plays him is great. Um, yeah, it's just a great show. And then, of course, um, uh, freaking Edie Falco who plays um, mm -hmm. Tony's wife. Car Carmen. Carmen, yeah. Phenomenal actress. Um, 
the episode uh, White Caps is some Carmella. is my shit. Carmella, yeah. What are we saying? Like I said, late God brain not working. Brain not working. Um, fantastic. There's we we fixed it before anyone in the comments did. Just like it's Carmella. Um, yeah, the episode White Caps is probably one of my favorite episodes in television history because of the acting between Edie Falco and James Gandolfini. It's so good. People say Sopranos is overhyped. Those people are wrong. They're wrong. Sopranos is great. Go watch it. Yeah. Sopranos is great. Only reason it didn't make my list is because I'm not really... uh, I I do appreciate the gangster shows, but I I like shows with... uh, uh, I don't know. It's just there wasn't a lot of redeeming characters in it, and it didn't have the the kind of glitz like Mad Men would. Like it, it's kind of I kind of put it in the Mad Men mold, where everybody on that show is just a dick. Oh, everybody really. sucks. Yeah, <laughs> except Bobby. Bobby's the only Bobby's good character great. on that show. Bobby. Oh, Bobby. He just wants to you know build his train model sets and <laughs> live a happy life. Yeah, but you also managed to root for them. All as well in a way, or just root for them as best you can. Um, yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot of great plot lines in that show. A lot of great twists and turns, and you never know who's gonna get whacked for what reason. Anybody can die at any time, and I feel like that was pretty new for TV as well. Yeah, twenty years ago, main characters can just die, and that's. Normal for that show. Uh, cons- consistently surprising. Sopranos is uh, is a great show. By the way, I have to I have to jump in just for uh, just to rub a little salt on the wound for some people. Uh, Breaking Bad did not make my list, and neither did The Wire. And don't at me in the comments because I have seen Breaking Bad and The Wire, and neither made my list. I'm sure there's a lot of people who are like, "Well, it's not on his list because he hasn't seen it." Oh, I've seen it. And they are <laughs> amazing. I just know like not three my... HBO shows on my list. <laughs> I have a type. You of know paper. what network you like? I guess. <laughs> uh, my number three is Sherlock. All right. Another yeah. show about somebody just really good at what they do. Um, this one was really big for me back in high school, especially. A lot of people I know were really big into it. Um, I always just thought the show was incredibly clever. The mysteries were investing and and intense as well. The The writing was sharp. The, the comedy was well-delivered. Martin Freeman and Benedict Cumberbatch, pitch perfect. The idea to take Sherlock Holmes and place him in a modern setting seemed ludicrous at the time. But they updated everything so well. It was it was perfect. Um, it's like, yes, yeah, these are effectively Arthur Conan Doyle stories just with a slight modern coat of paint. They updated everything for the 21st century as best as they possibly could. And it works a lot better than it has any right to. They're actually pretty faithful adaptations of the original stories, all things considered. Um until we get to season four and then that, uh, yeah. Okay. Season four wasn't my favorite, but it, it's still, 
I still like it better than most people. Uh, don't you mean series four? Series four, British series. Yeah. Um, yeah, my favorite episode of the show is The Signs of Three, which is the basically just the one where Sherlock gives a best man speech for an hour and a half. It's the like that that's the whole episode is just his best man speech effectively. Uh which is obviously underlying a mystery. He's trying to he's basically just delaying the entire crowd trying to solve a mystery while he just keeps rambling on. It's it's incredible. Um and then there's the Reich and Mock Fall, which Justin and I actually performed together in a drama class scene back in high school because we loved the scene so much. Nice. Where uh, Sherlock and Moriarty have their big confrontation and they they know one or both of them have to die um, for anything to happen. And oh, what's what their conversation was really awesome as well. I just like I said, the mysteries are just really good. The character dynamics are incredible seeing him out with the police and just be the smartest guy in the room, but also an absolute prick about it, but he's super charming at the same time. John Watson's a very relatable protagonist. Um, their bromance is, I, I love it. <laughs> their, uh, their dynamic is just very fun to watch. Uh, Sherlock and Watson are one of the greatest pairs in history. They were kind of the, one of the original, hero sidekick duos uh iconic for a good reason and this is like i said it's they're iconic and this is just a good adaptation of uh of the original stories which i i read most of them and i i enjoy them a great deal so sherlock is great and i i hope they do a season five one day uh yeah i always thought the structure of the show was interesting as well three hour and a half episodes per per series instead of a a standard episode count. Um, So it made everyone feel like an event and they're just, uh, yeah. So that's the Sherlock number three makes me feel smart watching it. I like shows that make me feel smart with really clever protagonists. Yeah. Good choice. Um, I just realized I fucked up. And uh, I'm going to, I just reminded myself of a show when I said the word series. So I'm taking out Mindhunter for my number nine. Sorry, Mindhunter fans. And I'm putting in Peaky Blinders. Um, Okay. Yeah. Putting in Peaky Blinders. Killian Murphy is the show that got more and more popular with each season. Um, One of the best shows ever uh, produced by the BBC. It's just, it's a show about the Shelby family. Um, rising up from the ranks of like the mob over in night early 1910s 1920s um, gain life in over in England after the world war after the world war and um, they slowly start to become just uh, more of sort of a kind of scam artists in the way not really scam artists but they're well yeah they like they slowly taking over um, these other mobs, uh, like gangsters, uh, territory throughout each season. Um, the Tommy Shelby's Kelly Murphy. It, it's, it's the role he was born to play. Paul Anderson as Arthur Shelby is phenomenal. Um, one of the best guest stars ever who always comes in. Tom Hardy is Alfie Solomons. He's so much fun to watch. 
between him and Kelly and Murphy. Their chemistry is phenomenal. Helen McCroy, who played Polly Gray, one of the best written women in all of television. Rest in peace to Helen McCro- uh, McCroy. Um, and uh, it's got some of the best rivalries throughout the show. I think the best season overall is um, season four. Um, the <clears throat> the conflict between the Shelbys and the Changretas, the which is the Italian family. Um, their main villain, Luca Changretta, played by Adrian Brody, one of the best villains in all of television. Phenomenal acting, phenomenally written. Um, Sam Neill's in the first two seasons as sort of the um, the inspector. I can't remember the the constable or whatever um, who's trying to take down the Shelby family. Um, Anya Taylor Joy shows up in later seasons. Sold. Yeah, just just phenomenal show. Uh, great great show. Everybody should watch it. It's it's done now. Um, there might be a movie coming out. We don't know, but uh, but yeah, I just I had to fix that real quick. Uh, so what's um, your number three? My number three <laughs> is uh, I'll go quick with this one because everybody knows this show. It's Friends. Yeah, it's Friends. Jennifer Aniston, Courtney Cox, Lisa Kudrow, Matthew Perry, Matt LeBlanc, and fuck, I almost had it <laughs> all the way through. God damn it. Why oh. can't I remember his name either? Uh, David Schwimmer. Got it. David Schwimmer. Late night. Late Sorry, night brain. David Late night brain not working. Sorry, David Schwimmer. Normally, um, I'm in bed two sh- hours ago, so. I've seen this show six times. Uh, it was a show I would watch with each exam season. Um, throughout high school and college and all that. Um, Chandler Bing is who I want to be in real life, honestly. I don't know if I brought this up in a podcast, but the character Chandler Bing so meant so much to me throughout my life, just in terms of comedy and... and Chandler uh, Bing is who I am in real life. <laughs> yeah, just I'm as sarcastic as him. Um, so that character that Matthew Perry portrayed means so much to me it was it was my comfort show for the longest time and his recent passing really messed me up um i'm sad for his family i'm sad for his castmates um i'm sad that he's gone but i hope he's you know he's resting peacefully yeah this this show just means so much to me and chandler bing meant so much to me and yeah i love this show friends is incredible it's another one that's it's Somehow not really a show I need to explain because everybody knows what it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like Friends always surprised me because it's, it managed to stay consistently funny over its 10 seasons. Yeah. I, I do think it, it peaked somewhere in the middle, but it was always good right to the end. Yeah. Had a satisfying conclusion. Uh, characters are iconic. Their dynamics are really good. The plots were fun. Writing was funny. Uh, utterly quotable throughout the entire show yeah well friends may have been quotable but um i think in terms of comedy writing my next one was streets ahead of all the other comedies i've ever seen uh and that'd be say how i met your mother i'm gonna community okay this almost made my list as well is my number two uh for my money one of the most clever shows i've ever seen the writing on this show is, I don't know if I've ever seen writing, besides maybe The Simpsons, where jokes build on top of other jokes, like 
the punchlines to some jokes are just setups for the next one. It's such efficient comedy writing. I'm envious when I watch this show. It is so funny. I laugh till I cry sometimes watching it. Even on rewatch, I've I've rewatched Community two or three times. I think maybe three times. Um, <laughs> from start to end, and I don't usually rewatch shows, so that's that's a pretty high bar to clear for me. Uh, I love this study group. The, the main cast of characters is one of the best ensembles I've ever seen in general. Um, uh, Joe McHale, Danny Pudi, Donald Glover, Allison Brie, Jillian Jacobs, Chevy Chase, Yvette Nicole Brown. Uh, they're all exceptional comedy actors. They play off each other very well. Everybody gets a moment. Uh, all their characters are... Very memorable, especially Abed. I don't think there's a character in entertainment history. I mean, okay, there's Abed is one of like the top three characters I've related to most in my life out of everything TV and movies I've ever watched. Just the guy who's seen so much entertainment. He's hyper aware about everything, but and, and can call out everything like a plot line. His this show basically introduced me to meta humor as a concept in a way that I could understand and it shaped my sense of humor ever since I, I kind of, I compare a lot to community. Uh, it's, it's not just a really well, you are Abed. <laughs> yeah, effectively. I'm not great with people, but I can call out every situation. Like it's a plot line and your characters within it. And because I've seen too much TV, I know exactly the moves people are going to make next because that's, yep. That's what your character would do. I'm waiting for the day you get to the op-ed phase where he just comes up with the most amazing insults for every single person, including his friends. Do you remember that episode? I'm already at that phase. I just don't. <laughs> I'm just I've waiting been... for you to say it uncontrollably. <laughs> exactly. Or I I'm waiting for the op-ed episode where I have a mental breakdown and imagine myself in claymation form around oh, Christmas. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, and Community, speaking of that one, they're special episodes. Some of the best I've ever seen on a sitcom. Abed's uncontrollable Christmas. You have the whole, you have a whole claymation one. You have the one where they're all video game characters. There's the one where they're all cartoons. There's the one where they did a Civil War documentary about themselves building a pillow and blanket fort. And the freaking oh paintball God. ones. The paintball, paintball ones. ones. Modern Warfare, the first one especially, is one of the best 20 minutes of television I've ever seen. Every line in that is quotable. I just love Jeff waking up in the ruins of Greendale College, paint all over the place. Uh, the side characters are also hilarious. I love Dean Pelton, uh, Chang's Side funny burns. too. <laughs> Starburns, Leonard. Starburns, excuse me. Yeah, just the uh, Garrett, just yeah. the other characters populating Greendale Community College. It's such a... What what I like about the show is that it's all these people who had decent potential in life and then they end up at community college, which a lot of people degrade as less less than uh, compared to uh, more mainstream colleges and universities. But at the end of the day, all these people here are trying to make a better life for themselves. 
however they can. They may not have been able to get to college or university, but they're they're trying. And Greendale is a garbage school. It is it is very oh, poorly so run. <laughs> uh, it's there's a lot of illegal things that probably happen there. Like it's it's what? a ridiculous school. Everything about it sucks. But it's the community that makes it special. It's the people there, the connections everybody makes, the fact that these group of people who are all disasters apart comes together and lifts each other up. That study group is a found family that saved every one of them in their own way. It saved Pierce from being a lonely old man. It saved Annie from being the the drug addict dropout. Uh, it saved Troy from being the immature high school jock. It saved Britta from being the activist who never really got close to anybody. It saved Abed from being completely introverted and never interacting with anybody else. Um, and it saved, uh, it saved Shirley from um, loneliness after her divorce as well. But mostly it saved Jeff, who is this narcissistic jerk who it gave him a chance to be a leader and bring out his best qualities. And uh, I love how everybody kind of turns to him for, for guidance and he doesn't really want to be the, these people's father figure or babysitter, but he, that's just kind of the role he takes on and he learns to care about people genuinely and not just use them which is how he got the whole group together. It's a, uh, it's a great story of found family and people helping each other be better. Yeah. And it's freaking funny. It's so funny. I almost put it on my list. I was so close, but for me personally, the later seasons, like when the main cast starts to leave and the new people come in, it just like, it slowly just starts to deteriorate for me. It's just kind of like a Season harder watch for me. Well, I still season four is the weakest one for sure, though. I think season five is still really funny, even up until um, certain characters leave. Uh, and I thought season six, even though like half the main cast is gone, the their replacements were fine. And I think the the writing in season five and six, when Dan Harmon came back, still very sharp. Not as high, yeah. not as high as the highs of the first three seasons. But even the back half of the show, which people kind of tear down, is not as good. I still hold up and think are underrated. Season yeah. six especially made me laugh a lot more than I thought it would when I first watched it. There's a lot of solid That's gags fair. in there. I might, I'll probably do a rewatch someday. The one with is, Garrett's wedding is funny so show. funny. Oh my God. Yeah. You just remind me of that. Yeah. Was, very funny show. Great one of the show. series highs. Hey, now that the sh both strikes are over, we'll finally get in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> All right, what's we gotta find two? the clip where I tell you on air that because of the strike, the <laughs> the movie's getting delayed again, and you went, "God damn it!" <laughs> <laughs> it's like the biggest reaction I think I've ever gotten out of you. <laughs> it's not easy to provoke me. Six seasons in a movie. Six seasons in a movie. You were there for 23 hours. Why'd you stay? Weren't you mad? Oh, I was pissed. Oh, I was livid. <laughs> That's mm. what he said. <laughs> I was livid. <laughs> yeah. I love Abed. Oh, man.
That's racist. That's black. That's racist. Damn. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just remembering all the quotes. Uh, my number two, probably no surprise to you, is uh, Sons of Anarchy. I I love this show. I love Sons of Anarchy. Um, it's about this a, a biker gang in uh, Southern California in this little town called Charming. Huh. Ironic. Because it is. And it's basically about these guys who deal guns to different gangs. They're sort of the middleman for the IRA. And this is just how they make money. Um, it's got some of the greatest actor, television actors there. Charlie Hunnam, this was his sort of breakout role. Ron Perlman, who is one of the greatest character actors of all time. He plays Clay, who is the patriarch of the gang, just phenomenally. He's... He's so good at, it's basically um, Kurt Sutter's version of Hamlet. It's like the modern tale of Hamlet. It's very compared to that. And then Katie Seagal, who um, plays the mother, the matriarch of the, she's like, she's part of, she's not part of the gang because it's kind of, it's like an all boys thing. It's like an all guys thing, but she's very much, she's like the queen bee of it. Um, She's great. Uh, Gemma Teller, that's her character's name. She is probably my favorite female character in television. She's so well done. She's got some of the most harsh but iconic lines ever. Um, She just tells it like it is. Um, I mean, here's one example where there's a character who's fucking over her dad trying to swindle them out of money, and she straight up says, this is why mothers should drown baby girls. That's just what she says, just randomly, and just the other characters' reactions to her. She's phenomenal. She's... She's great. If you're on her good side, it's amazing. But if you're on her bad side, you're probably going to end up dead. She's just one of the greatest um, television characters of all time, in my opinion. One of the greatest actresses, too. Um, It's just a great story of Jax as well. Jax is the protagonist. He is the vice president of the gang, who is the stepson of Clay, um, but the biological son of Gemma. Their relationship, the son and mother is very well done, but there's, there's a lot of tension between the stepfather and son, but also there's the bonds as well. It kind of teeters in and out throughout each season, you know, shit happens to both of them. Um, and it just, it plays up the idea of with each season, does Jax want to stay in this game or does he want to have a better life with his high school sweetheart, Tara Knowles? You know, does he want to stay in in, in in this life, because it is all-consuming, it's criminal activity, they are, you know, selling guns, they do end up, they do get in gunfights, they do end up killing people, and the whole plot of season one is Jack's finding the manuscript of his biological father that he wrote about the Sons of Anarchy, and how it basically corrupted him, how it's turned into something he didn't want to turn into, and how much crime they get up to, and how um, the manuscript was written for Jax and uh, and his other brother who died early on in life. And um, basically how he doesn't want, how the biological father doesn't want the sons, or doesn't want Jax to be in the sons. But he's almost, and as each season approaches, you know, each time he almost gets out, there's something that pulls him back in. Um, <laughs> Godfather Part 3. Um, it's just a phenomenal show. They pull me back in. (laughs) So good. 
yeah, it's just a phenomenal show. I honestly think there's no bad season. I think the dialogue is amazing. The acting is great. Justin, you're wrong about how he walks. How dare you? Um, it's a great show. The music is phenomenal. A lot of it uh, is at the end of each episode. They kind of do like a cover of popular songs. Not like Glee. I'm not talking about like Glee covers, but they do like a lot of um, like, um, uh, oh man, like sort of like 70s, 80s rock covers as well, but they I mean, don't play it up as like they're better as it's more like toned down a little bit. Um, it's just a great show. Phenomenal acting, phenomenal writing. I think everybody should watch it. Um, I was going to bring this up in a leisure list, but I was watching Sons of Anarchy recently, just doing a rewatch, and I finished it in probably over or just under a month. I just kept going. I just binged it. It's it's so good. It's one another show I watch with my family um, throughout the years, and yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely one I should check out. You've had nothing but praise for it. Uh, so my number one favorite TV show of all time, Star Trek: The Next Generation. Shocker. <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding. <laughs> so this show kind of changed my life in a way. It. I, it's kind of like The Good Place in that from start to end, I fully believe that it made me a better person just watching this show start to end. It, it, I believe that it nearly should be mandatory watching for just every human being, at least the best stuff from start to end, because... This entire show basically is a it, it's a collection of stories about humanity at its best. The very first episode, Q takes the Enterprise hostage and puts forth a question. He says, "Well, humanity is a barbaric race of savages." who don't really know what they're doing among the stars, and you guys really should not be out here. You're just... You're, you're just going to make the universe worse for being out here. You're not ready for what's out there. And the end of the episode is... Uh, they convince Q to give them a chance, effectively. And then... This is kind of forgotten for a lot of the show, but the very last episode brings it back full circle. Q comes back around and kind of reanalyzes them and decides whether humanity may be worthy after all, or, or, or just sees what they may have learned along the way. And that's basically what all of Next Generation is. It's a series of very hard-hitting moral questions about when faced with this kind of hard problem, what is the best way to handle it? And there's opposition from all sides, and sometimes sometimes they even make very good points politically. Uh, hard decisions have to be made. But it's all about 
what what is the best possible thing to do like what really is humanity is uh is the big question and i think that's explored most thoroughly through the character of commander data who is an android who lacks the ability to feel emotion but is fascinated by the idea of humanity and is basically pinocchio his one wish is to become as human as possible so he learns everything he can about humanity, tries to emulate them. He tries to learn comedy in a logical sort of way. He owns a cat named Spot. He attends concerts. Uh, this show is a celebration of just all the best things human about our, about our literature, about our uh, ability to create music, about our ability to spread good throughout the universe, uh, form utopic societies. Um, about love and kinship and found family and community and how the best among us can make a society that frees people from all kinds of oppression and hardship where everyone has an equal slate to be the best version of themselves they possibly can be and everybody else around you tries to prop you up and we head out amongst the stars just to explore and see what's out there for scientific pursuit and right wrongs that we find out there we meet resistance like the klingon empire the romulans more uh tyrannical governments who want to impose war and secrecy or they remind us of the worst aspects of ourselves of our greediness and our lust for power and control over other people and it's all about our attempts to fight the worst in ourselves and embrace the best and that that's what next gen is about from start to end so by the end of the show i i feel like i fundamentally changed not fun not i can't say fundamentally but i definitely changed my perspective on the world i became a more tolerant and open-minded person um became a little more idealistic and optimistic for the future and it's a it's a, it's a feel-good show that will make you want to do better in the world and self-improve um the characters are inspiring the patrick stewart's acting is some of the best ever put to television the stories are immaculately written. The very best ones make you question um, moral philosophy very strongly. Like, wow, that's that's a very interesting idea to ponder. I never really thought about that. And what would I do in that scenario? Um, so it's just a, it's a compelling, fascinating show all around. Science fiction at its best. Um, it, it, it's like... There's a lot of great two-parters. The action's really good, too. Um, but most episodes are just, here's a great sci-fi concept. Let's explore that. And we get into new crazy adventures every week. But like I said, the show as a whole is about something a whole lot bigger. Uh, just humanity's journey. And uh, yeah, that's my favorite show of all time. Good pick. Fantastic pick. My number one show of all time 
If it's not Sons of Anarchy, if it's not Game of Thrones, what could it be? Well, it ain't live action. It's Avatar The Last Airbender. Of course. Yep. That is my favorite show of all time. It's only three seasons, but it is perfection. It is the show I grew up watching. It's the show that taught me good versus evil. It's the show that has one of the best redemption arcs for uh, the season one villains of all time. It's got some of the best characters of all time. I'm not even talking about the protagonist. He's probably not even the most interesting in that show. I'm talking about Aang. I'm ta- not talking about Aang. Ah, Nightbrain. I'm talking about Toph. I'm talking about Zuko. I'm talking about Uncle Iroh. Freaking Sokka. Uncle Iroh's probably the best character in that show and in that universe. It's the show that everybody brings up when they talk about greatest shows of all time. And you know why? Because it is. It's short. It's beautifully animated. It's so well done. It's even the choreography is amazing. Like they take it from real life um, martial art uh, forms. I can't name them all here because Nightbrain. Um, it's phenomenal works of art. The storytelling's great. It's about this guy. It's about this boy who ran away from home um, because he's destined to be the Avatar, master of all four elements. Um, gets into an accident out at sea. Wakes up a hundred years later. There's a hundred years war going on. The Fire Nation has attacked. Um, everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked, and now he's got to stop the Fire Lord from destroying the world. Um, he has to do it in a year. He has to master all four elements in a year to stop them, uh, which is the fastest any Avatar has done it. And there's only one in the world, and it's him. And he goes on this advan- adventure to master all four elements. He's already mastered air because he's one of the air nomads. Um, he was born there, I believe, or was given there as a child. So he has to master water, earth, and fire in that order. And it's most there is an over arcing narrative throughout the show but there is a lot of episodic parts in that show that just expand the entire world of avatar and also just expand amazing side characters well i mean suki is probably one of the best side characters um sokka's potential love interest slash you know girlfriend um Toph is introduced in season two like think about that people's one of people's favorite characters she's not even in the first season and she's just one of the greatest, you know, um, <clears throat> like side characters in that show. Um, endlessly quotable. Um, Zuko is m- per- my personal favorite character. Just that redemption arc from being the main bad guy in season one and then turning heel and, you know, helping Aang defeat his father, who is the Fire Lord, voiced by Mark Hamill. Fire Lord Ozai, that's who that is. Um, just it's a phenomenal show. Even the sequel show, Legend of Korra, is pretty decent. Um, the fighting style, the court, the fight scenes in Legend of Korra is a little bit better because it's just modern animation, modern, you know, and all that. Bigger budgets and all that. But Avatar The Last Airbender, it's a show that people love to talk about. There's no hate to the show whatsoever. Nobody talks crap about the show, and for good reason. It's the show that I think people watched the most during COVID or was one of the more popular shows to watch during COVID because it was so short um, and just a breeze to get through. And in not in a bad way, it was just, it was, it's well, the storytelling is just well plotted out. It's evenly paced. 
it's beautifully well done. The animation's great. The music is phenomenal. The relationships are so good. And it just ended perfectly. How many shows do, can you say ended perfectly? You, there's not that many. Most of them don't end great or don't please everybody. And it's just, it's my favorite show of all time. All right. So you want to recap your list quick? Yeah. Batman, the animated series, Better Call Saul, Mad Men, The Good Place, Doctor Who, The Simpsons, Daredevil, Sherlock, Community, and Star Trek The Next Generation. Okay, my list, starting from the bottom. The Last of Us, Peaky Blinders, sorry, my hunter. Legend of Vox Machina, Batman the Animated Series, Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones, Sopranos, Friends, Sons of Anarchy, Avatar, The Last Airbender. Not a bad TV show among them. And it, it, that just tells you how much great TVs there are out, out there in the world. You got, exactly. we have 19 out of 20 unique TV shows and they're all pretty great. I checked IMDb and all of these are on there. I don't care. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> IMDb has Breaking Bad as the number one. But also like IMDb is like the way it works on IMDb. It's just like every episode rated and then just. Yeah. Like, it's just the rating of the show. It's not, like, the definitive. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? It's, like, who has the best overall reviews? And obviously, it's going to be Breaking Bad. Okay, so my question of the week. This is definitely pointed at you, but I want an answer. How many times is appropriate to rewatch a show? Ooh. What's your definition of appropriate? Because <laughs> friends watching friends six times in a row was not appropriate. Um, okay, well, let, let's just say let let's get to more of the meat of okay. what I'm asking. Is it, I'm going to say at is least it better. Yeah, it, like what what's your level of like? Is it okay to rewatch a show that many times, or should somebody should one branch out a little more instead of? I think re-watching? you should definitely branch out from time to time. I mean, I've heard people watch like shows like Grey's Anatomy like 10 times or something like that. And then I mm-hmm. look at them and I go, how? There's 15 seasons. It's ridiculous. Um, but I do think it is a pro, I would recommend rewatching shows more than not because there's just stuff that you miss throughout a first viewing. There's callbacks that you'll miss or there's little setups that you have missed in season, in the earlier seasons on because you're not looking out for them, um, especially with shows like Game of Thrones or Breaking Bad. You know, there's like little things you need to pay attention to, like little setups here and there, um, or even like Sopranos as well. Um, it's just I think rewatchers are appropriate. How but how many? Many. Yeah, I would say. I understand what I understand what you're saying though about how you rewatch things once, you'll catch everything again. Maybe you rewatch it a second time just because you enjoy it. But once you're getting the fourth, fifth, and sixth rewatches, especially for really long running shows, is that, well, I mean, you've done it. I'm just, I'm just wondering for myself too. just a, just a moral philosophy question. Well, not a moral, it all depends. It's not, it's not moral. It all depends. Like how you really feel about the show. I mean, 
I've rewatched How I Met Your Mother twice just to give it two chances, two more chances, and I was disappointed every time. And um by like by the ending. And then I was like, okay, that's enough. But shows like Sons of Anarchy or Friends, to me, it just have never done me wrong. So it's just also like a familiar, uh, familiarity to it. A little bit of nostalgia there as well. Like I want to feel that feeling I had when watching it the first time. And it, it's just one of those things. So I think as long as you have a deep connection to it, you're not going to be disappointed with it. But you are, I do see your point in your question where you are missing out on a boatload of other phenomenal like television as well. See, the way I tend to do it, anything on this list that I've rewatched, which is really just community, I've seen about three times. Um, I've seen the first couple seasons of ne- the first season of Next Generation two or three times, and then the rest I just watched through once. The only reason I ever rewatched any of these things is with other people. I've only watched them all one time on my own, and it's because I'm trying to get other people into them that I watch them again. I watched Community the second time through uh, with uh, with my one friend who I, I was trying to get her into it, and the third time I watched it with my family because I tried to get them into it. Um, but it wasn't for me. I mean, I enjoyed the rewatch, of course, just for me. But if it's like, well, I'm trying to introduce you to this really good thing. Um, but when I'm just alone, part of me wants that comfort food. Sure. It would be, I do like that familiarity and yeah, you know what? I've already experienced a lot of time in this world and it was sad to leave the first time, but it'll always be there. Uh, to come back to if I really need it. And I'm sure I will go back to a lot of my favorites one day. There's going to come a point when I'm a crotchety old man who wants absolutely nothing to do with new entertainment and I'll just content myself with the old favorites. There will come that time, but for now I'm just trying to consume all the stuff I'm quote-unquote supposed to be watching um, the stuff I hear I need to be watching, um, the classics, mostly some new stuff, but yeah, there's just so much I haven't seen yet that I can't feel, I don't feel comfortable rewatching things multiple times instead of getting a new experience. I understand why people do it. I just, Yeah. It's not really what I do, but like I said, I can see myself doing it one day. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. So that does it for (laughs) the last episode of 2023. Suppose it'll be. It was a a good year. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good year of podcast. I mean, part of me is surprised we're still going. Yeah, look at us. Who'd have thought? <laughs> we've been going for since February 2022, so we've been mm-hmm. nearly going for two yeah. years now. Nearly. I didn't yep. know if we'd last one episode. <laughs> 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 like, well, we tried that, and that was uh, okay. Yeah, kept it consistent. 
Um, we're good. We'll probably take a bit of a holiday break, I assume. Um, uh, at least a week. There. Yeah, at least a week. So everybody enjoy your holidays. Stay safe out there. And uh, Merry yeah. Christmas. Happy, Happy New holidays. Year. Yeah. All right. Happy and uh, plug your socials. Um, alrighty. Well, you can find me at Ryan Walker Official on YouTube, TikTok, and on Instagram. You can find me on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at ThoughtPlay Media. Also, check out the Close Up with Ryan and Joe Facebook page for latest updates on the show. If you listen to us in audio, check out our YouTube channel. And if you're on YouTube, find us anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. We hope to see you on the next Close Up with Ryan and Joe in 2024, where we'll probably be discussing our favorite movies of 2023. Till next time. Take care.